Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to a special episode of Getting Defoe You, where we are covering from Heaven's Gate to the present day. So join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. So, Petros, it feels like it's been a while, uh, but here we are. We've got season one in the rearview mirror. We'll get on to that in due course, but we're here for something a little bit different. It's exciting, and we're doing we're doing in between stuff. This is content. We're, we're creating content. <laughs> Isn't this fun? We're, we're we're mopping up the 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 odds and the, the ends of Willem's career. The stuff that isn't quite feature length, and this is our first foray into that, right, Daryl? With a collection of three short films starring our main man Willem Dafoe. That is exactly it. So, as I believe we may have touched on in our introductory episode, in between seasons, uh, we're also going to do something a little bit different. That's uh, not something necessarily from his uh, filmography. There's a little bit of fun in between seasons to sort of pad the void out there whilst we start working on the next season. And you better believe that we are. Uh, and this is quite rightly, as Petros said, um, the odds and the ends um, the odds and the ends one or season one episode eleven, however, however you want to place it in uh, in this. This, is in, this is in the kind of ethereal never space in between. Do you know what I mean? Like if season one were like the first island on a Mario game, this is like a kind of bonus level, if you will. It's kind of like we're wahooing <laughs> all over the place. There's coins coming out of our wazoos. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we're on Rainbow Road right now. It's kind of everything's going off the charts. Run the rainbow the road, baby. <laughs> so. So, if season one is your cinematic Marvel releases, this is your uh, this is your Disney Plus TV show to uh, pad it all out in between. And we thought we'd kick things off the right way, just as Petros said earlier there, with uh, not one, not two, but three Defoe shorts as part of the Jameson First Shot competition from 2013. And we'll break all of these down. One of them. If you've ever typed into a gift bar, Willem Dafoe, there's one of them you're going to be, maybe not intentionally, but actually very, very familiar with. So we're getting into all of that. We had a delightful time, and we had a delightful guest joining us as well. The one and only Matt Brothers. Despite his Twitter handle being Matt Brothers 2, he's the one and only Matt Brothers to me. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he joined us as somebody who has delved into the world of short filmmaking and actually entered this competition in 2017 to uh, potentially work with Dominic West. So this was this was kind of a, a gift from the, the podcasting gods to have somebody who's not just got amazing experience in writing and producing short films but also knows the knows the process of entering this competition so it was a, a yeah as you said a delightful chat with a delightful guest it's a defoe delight all right and you know we had a lot of fun recording this one so we're very excited for you to listen to this one as well just before we get into the episode of course it's the little admin portion of the intro so petros if you don't mind, where can the listeners, where can our dear the friends find us on the interweb and the socials and all that good business as well? If you want to be a, a friend of the podcast, please do follow us on 
Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at DefoeUPod. Or if you have a burning, burning question you would like to ask us, always drop us an email, which is DefoeUPod at gmail.com. Wonderful stuff. So without further ado, let's get into it. It's the Jameson First Shot Competition Shorts of 2013. We're joined by Matt Brothers. It's a great episode. We know you'll love it. And we'll see you on the other side. Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. This week, we are casting our eyes on not one, not two, but three, yes, three Defoe outings as the Defoe commotion train stops at the 2013 Jameson First Shot competition for three short films, all starring, you guessed it, Mr. Willem Dafoe. Helping us get to know Dafoe a little better this week to see if these shorts are good sports or should be tried in the courts is writer and co-host of the Spotlight podcast, Sudden Double Deep podcast, and is Paul Dano OK podcast, it's Matt Brothers. Matt Welcome aboard the Defoe Motion Train. How the devil are you doing today? Hello, de lads. I'm delighted, delighted to be joining you on the Defoe Motion Train, uh, and for such a wonderfully little niche subject as well that I have a have some personal affinity with. So it's nice to pick up on this. But yeah, loving loving all things Defoe. How are you guys? Fantastic. I've got to compliment you, Matt, on your kind of coming in with a plomb with the with the tap <laughs> puns. Yeah, come, Any yeah. excuse. Me and Daryl will be in a duh off, but I may lose. I'm doing very well this season. <laughs> well, I've I've had a bit of practice. I've had a bit of practice, so you know, no shame, no shame <laughs> in, uh, in losing to the best. Is one of the most arrogant things I will personally ever say. So I, I immediately apologise. <laughs> That's not representative of me as a person at all. But no, absolute aplomb. Aplomb is what we uh, what we ask, what we live for. Obviously, we've got a fair smattering of Defoe, lovely little portions of Defoe to get into today. But of course, before we get into that, we always have to throw out there, especially with new guests to getting Defoe you. How well do you know Defoe, Matt Brothers? So what is your Defoe history? That's what me and Petros want to know, what the listeners want to know. How did you get into the man we call Willem Defoe? Do you recall your first Defoe film, how many you've seen, what are your views on them all? Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, it's been interesting hearing what people have been saying and where the the common denominators often land. And I'm not that far off because I would say it would be Spider-Man 2002 in cinemas, Mm -hmm. just because as well, it was around that time that I probably first saw Platoon uh, as well. But the one that might actually predate both of them, maybe from memory, is Good Old Speed 2, which I'm sure I would have seen either on TV one night or on video at some point in the mid-90s. So it could be that. Like, looking back further than that, it would have been things that I saw much later on. But, you know, as his as his, uh, his eclectic filmography just continues, continues to gain speed, it's just any number of things. My letterbox currently says 32 out of 192 things. That's going to be wrong because my letterbox is only recognizing things I've watched since I signed up. I made a conscious decision not to go back. So anything of his that I saw before the beginning of 2015 will not be counted. I haven't gone and added little uh, little eyes. And that includes stuff like uh, Once Upon a Time Mexico and Platoon uh, mm. and some other bits around there. The Aviator, I don't think I've seen in many, many years. No. So I'd say 
conservatively, it's probably closer to like 50 things, which sounds mad Very for like much. one one actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad innings. I would, I would hasten to say, you know, you might lose to me on the dirt offs. Uh, but in terms of sheer innings on films, you probably probably have me beat there. Like, like this is a horrible thing to admit as like a movie podcast. I'm terrible with watching films. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm so, like, if I did not have like a podcast dedicated to it, I don't think I'd ever look at the TV. <laughs> but yeah, I think you know. That's sure you've heard me and Petros. We've we've heard many a phone a initiation, if you will. With Spider Man, so with Platoon, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of hit the Holy Grail there. You hit the, you hit the trifecta <laughs> or speed. The Holy Grail. <laughs> it's it's funny, isn't it? Because Spider Man is very much like you know as, about as big as sort of break as you can get for people of a certain age in the early early noughties. But then Platoon being almost the the one that you always kind of get to around your end of school, college, maybe uni times, whether or not you study it. It feels like it's one of those yeah. films that you kind of you know, Oliver Stone in general. I think you kind of discover at that kind of that kind of age as well. Oh, I'm a I have I have clocked in, and I, I think there is something wrong with me because I for the past. <laughs> three months at least once a month i've watched jfk which like if people don't know is three and a half hours long <laughs> oliver stone movie uh that is essentially a conspiracy theory about the assassination of jfk even like it, this is it, so bad i was i was on a train listening to a podcast like nothing to do with films and they mentioned jfk and I immediately signed on to the train <laughs> Wi-Fi, downloaded Netflix, started watching JFK like an absolute <laughs> madman. I thought you were going to be like, mental note, I'll check that out later, but no, immediately. Immediately. <laughs> immediately. I was like, fuck this podcast. I'll listen to the rest of it tomorrow. I've got a couple of beers. I'm watching JFK, baby. <laughs> How good was the train Wi-Fi that you could download something? Yeah. Oh, no, it was only the Netflix app. I just didn't have the app on my phone at the time. That was it. That oh, was, I was going to say, like, if you've started sitting in first class since last we spoke, we need a word. <laughs> <laughs> you've gone beyond your station, young man. Oh, if I wasn't first class, it would have definitely been looking over my shoulder all the time. So, no, I definitely wasn't. <laughs> just gets to a really tense moment and you go whizzing through the tunnel, just like, fuck, wait, I know what happens. I saw yeah, I watched yeah, it last yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we did manage to see uh, Petros the other week, wasn't it? To live and die in LA, which was a first time watch for me at the Prince Charles, which was just oh, a fantastic experience. There was numerous times throughout that where my jaw was just on the floor. And it's like, yeah, these kind of character decisions and, and twists, if you were, just you just don't see them done in the same way these days. <laughs> I, I loved kind of watching it again after like, recording the episode and kind of after the passing of William Friedkin, RIP, Hurricane Billy. I just like went on a big rabbit hole of just like listening to loads of interviews with him watching loads of interviews and like people talking about him and i saw like a, a clip circulate of willem dafoe talking about like when william friedkin asked him to be in the film and i just i, I just love this kind of indicative and like dafoe says it with a smile is that uh, <laughs> william friedkin like said to him like you're perfect we lo i'm looking for i'm looking for real nobodies i'm looking for people people have never seen before like you're perfect for the film and dafoe was like well as an actor you you, you kind of hoped like the director's going to stroke your ego a, a little bit and maybe he has seen me in something and William Freakins are like you're a fucking nobody kid like you're perfect, perfect for the 
film. I'm I'm hiring exclusively losers. Yeah. <laughs> and you, my At friend. Top of the list. <laughs> the biggest loser I've seen in, in the mid eighties. Wish I could have made it to the screening at uh, everyone's favourite London cinema, the Prince Charles. Hashtag not an ad. But I, I think what I'd be curious to know, Matt, for you, it being like the first time viewing as well. Did the car chase scene give you the anxiety that it gave me? It still gives me palpitations thinking about it now. My God, yeah. Seeing seeing it whiz about and realizing slowly, like, oh my God, he's doing a French connection again, but for LA this time. And he's going full in. And then pretty much everything that follows through to, you know, like... Uh, you know the guy getting shot and then everything that happens with uh what's his face towards the end it was just like wow yeah this is this is like a real shit heel protagonist here that they're not letting off the hook and it's great like there's no sort of redemption arc it's just a bad guy getting worse and the sort of transformation of his partner yeah. as well where you're like oh my god yeah this this place really does corrupt you it really uh it really is a case of you either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain type thing but yeah the car chase is just incredible and like you just there's something about just location filming analog physical effects where it's like not really an effect because they're just doing the thing that Friedkin demonstrates both in this and French Connection so well where it's like I just don't think you can really do that anymore like in general like shooting in the proper cities for a lot of these places especially New York is just too expensive so there's a there's there's a certain charm to a lot of older movies whether or not they're classics they could be pieces of shit where you're just like yeah but you're shooting on location the real deal on film everything's for real and it just elevates so much bad stuff whereas I think now if you do a low budget bad film in this age it's going to be something full of like digital effects probably to like try and up it and it's just not gonna it's not gonna be bad in the same way and i i miss i miss real bad films uh and real good films actually yeah i think what we're, what we're hearing is uh fast and furious wind your fucking neck in mm-hmm. they could <laughs> never if you haven't got william peterson actually behind the wheel of a car going opposite way on a highway i don't want to fucking see it then <laughs> i love it just fast x part two they go right we didn't perform as well as we like you've got 10 million go rogue like don't even tell anyone you're shooting uh, an, a fast film just go off the grid and it'll be fucking phenomenal so yeah I'll leave all that family bullshit at the door <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, only, train the, truck, only, baby. the only family member i want to see added to them is william peterson do you know what i mean if he's a long lost uncle or something like that and he's like let's go baby we're living <laughs> 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 I know we sort of touched touched upon this on our um, To Live and Die episode as well, but has Wang Chung been stuck in your head ever since you watched it as well? Because it's going to be on my end of your Spotify. I know that for a fact. Yeah, there was some incredible tracks in that thing. And, and again, getting it blasted full surround sound and similar is amazing. So yeah, I need to hit that up on the, a playlist for the rest of time, I think. Because uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> incredible and done so unironically like you put that exact same music on something now it would feel like ah, i see what you're doing but back then it's like no this is the real shit yeah well you realize as well yeah. that they just use the same tracks over and over again mm. well. like, <laughs> like, yeah, this is the moody track yeah let's just have that again. <laughs> like, the amount of times you hear bling, 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 bling. it's like this is the intro to, to live and die in la again okay <laughs> I just this. Like, love it. When you know you got it, you got it. Well, got it. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just know. Sometimes, sometimes it pops up on my Spotify and I'm on like a bus or something, and I feel like a fucking dirty criminal. <laughs> I'm so into it, just looking out at like the, uh, the the northern landscape of like Leeds. I'm like, this is fucking sick. Yes. <laughs> 
I just sometimes now stand in front of my blinds like that shot of William Peterson, you know, when he's like, and it's like right at the end of the credits as well, you get a flash up of it. I just put weight on on my iPod, on my iPod so <laughs> stand there like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a cup of tea in a minute, but in this moment, I'm, I'm, I'm Richard Chase. I'm a bad man. You finally snap out of it and realize someone's been talking to you for like five minutes. You're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll move the car, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but car chases and LA dives aside, we've got three shorts to discuss today of the Jameson First Shot competition from 2013, which you touched upon in the start there, Matt. I understand that you have uh, something of a connection to this competition as well. So by, by all means, we'd love to hear about it. What's your connection and how are, you, how are you entwined in this whole damn thing? Well, yeah, I was aware of this when it was on. And I've only just realized that 2017 seems to be the last time they did it. But way back when, like 2011 sort of time, Kevin Spacey's company, Trigger Street, which kind of produced a lot of this, was a really good website and resource for, for riders. Um, and then that kind of shuttered only a few years later. But this competition must have been obviously in partnership with jam some whiskey and it would be a case where you could enter a script so that you'd find out who the featured actor was going to be in that year and you would write something sort of for them and it was for sort of first-time filmmakers and they would uh, as you see sort of pick like three winners and they could be from people all over the all over the world and uh, kevin spacey obviously lent himself to the first edition uh then defoe here is the second then we had follow-up years from uma thurman adrian brody maggie gyllenhaal and Dominic West. So like real like cream of the crop sort of talent, which is a great opportunity to get to make a short with a genuine A-lister. Sure. And in my head all this time, I think it I thought it was the Adrian Brody year I entered, but it wasn't. It was 2017, so it's the last one, the Dominic West one. So I did write something for this. Uh, obviously not very good. <laughs> but I dug it out and it was this short film I wrote called Pancake. And it would have been Dominic West playing like a children's party clown who finishes up a party and then he realizes he's left his car keys in like this kid's treehouse so he goes up to get them and then as he's coming trying to leave it like a snake like a sort of garden snake has like got its way up there and sort of trapped him in and he's got this deathly fear of snakes so he's kind of like backed up into the corner like terrified so he calls out for someone and this kind of like suburban soccer mum type person whose kid it was the birthday party is clearing up and she hears him so she goes up to kind of see what's what and she's completely fine with snakes but has a deathly fear of the of clowns so he's stuck there afraid of the snake she can't help him because she's afraid of him and they kind of have this bit of a heart to heart of him being like look this this stereotype of clowns being creepy and weird i hate it i'm a really good guy i love my job like kids love me and she's just like basically sort of comes clean of this trauma from her childhood of uh, a sibling who like dressed up as a clown and like hit on top of her cupboard and stuff so they kind of they kind of have it out and she kind of saves him out and she says i think they make a bargain where it's like okay i'll get you down if i can do one thing and the one thing is her just beating the shit out of him like in the garden afterwards for like a bit of like <laughs> therapy and he's like there do you feel better now she's like yeah and they kind of like hit it off and then i think the final shot was going to be like you'd see this sort of uh, tank where this uh, snake had escaped from and like it's it's full of them and it's a bit cracking it so that there's more coming so i was like yeah i was trying to think with the sort of head-on that i normally did for shorts around that time which was you know practical one location two mm -hmm. characters bit of a sort of comedic twist to it um but obviously not what they went for but had you guys watched any of the other ones from the other years by chance no i hadn't but oh. I, they must have changed the rules by the time you had entered because i think for 2013 it would have been the case as as it was for 2012 they used to, like the rules like seemed very stringent as well it was like you only could be from the u.s south africa or russia 
Yorkshire. And the US was excluding California for some legal reasons. You could have no more than seven characters and no more, your script could be no longer than seven pages. And it's like, fuck, like, they're not messing yeah. around here. They were like very stringent. I think it's like Dana Bonetti was like, did like yeah. ESA like YouTube video being like, if it's longer than that, we ain't even going to see it, buddy. Like, don't even think about it. <laughs> it's strange because, yeah, you're right. They must have changed some stuff because the, the US, South Africa and Russia thing, I do remember. Hopefully that's not why I got disqualified immediately for not reading the fucking rules. Um, <laughs> or whether they were like, yeah, we'll definitely pick one from one of these regions or whether they did open it up. But like, I went back and I watched a few of them because I found this IMDb list that kind of listed them all out. And each actor did did the three films. And they're of, you know, as all shorts are, like varying quality. But one of them, so I did a couple of the Uma Thurman ones. There's one where she plays like Hera, queen of the Greek gods, like just living a mundane life and having a shitty Zeus husband who's just a slob. But then another one she did called Jump, about uh, she plays a woman in like a psych facility who's got this obsession in believing she can fly. That one is like 18 minutes long. So obviously that seven page script script went out the window or they just i think there's a lot of slow-mo in there adrian brody one i watched called the mascot which was pretty good so that was a south africa one that's him playing like a long-term basketball mascot like a guy in a panda outfit who gets replaced and he kind of loses his shit a bit <laughs> the maggie gyllenhaal ones i remember has been pretty good then the only other one i watched before this was one of the dominant west ones which i never did see obviously stewing in my own bitterness one called five star uh fuad which is pretty good where he's Dominic West is like a bit of a shitty kind of bank robber and he he's booked an Uber as his getaway car and it's just like the nicest guy driving him trying to like be be very very nice for him so that was pretty funny but um yeah interesting that that ended up being the last year I do wonder what the real reason was for them stopping it oh 100% is Kevin Spacey yeah I'm just thinking around that time right like heading into 2018 you're like no (laughs) house of cards suddenly got very different (laughs) Um, that house of cards fell that's what happened (laughs) the house of cards crumbled (laughs) and Jameson pulled the plug on that competition so quick but like, yeah, some of them I definitely say are worth checking out because there's a there's a Jameson uh, YouTube channel which hosted a lot of these in good quality, which I'm surprised because we we managed to find these Defoe ones also on YouTube, but from various random sources. So I don't know whether the uh, YouTube channel channel started up post Defoe, but um, yeah, it's worth checking out a lot of the other ones. Yeah, it seemed. I mean, obviously post when was it 2017, 18, the last one it dropped off. I think obviously for understandable reasons, and then I don't think there wasn't much information I could really find. Maybe I wasn't looking in the right places, but obviously I th- they obviously wanted to distance themselves, which you know it's an understandable shame. But obviously, it's such a great opportunity for emerging talent, young up and coming talent as well. I think the the one thing I was surprise was the restraints that it's like okay you've got to do like a seven minute short but you have to include a bottle of jameson's whiskey in it <laughs> I, I, I was kind of expecting it to be some kind of product placement thing, like each but, one's a bit of an ad for the whiskey yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah but like he said i understand that your character's like depressed because they've just like lost their father but <laughs> they have a lovely glass of Jameson's whiskey and wink at the camera. Um, and it makes them better, not worse. <laughs> and the dad's ghost comes back down from heaven, they clink a glass of Jameson's whiskey, the dog comes back, the wife comes back. I was like, oh, that's some nice. I think that there was like a nice, I don't know if, if, if restraint is the right word, but the fact it was just like, just give us like seven minutes of your best stuff. And then it's, from what I don't know if it changed in preceding years, but I know for Defoe's year, like the actor got to pick in the scripts as well, which seemed really interesting. Mm. I guess kind of an insight as well, in a way, to Defoe's 
the workings of his mind because the three shorts we've got are all I think very different there's all I think with all of them there's kind of like a like a, a bit of like a dark comedic edge to some of these mm-hmm. as well so you know depending on how much input Defoe had in the in selection process it's interesting to see like this is what like what he was drawn to some of these more obscure weird characters as well which you know I think is a good segue to bring us to uh the first of the three shorts which is saving Norman so we hand over to Petros for the first of three <laughs> the facts and the figures Oh, have I got some defacts and defigures for you, ladies and gentlemen. Saving Norman is written and directed by Hannah K. Schutt and stars Nikki DeLoach, Charles Kim, Anthony Holiday, and the one and only Willem Dafoe. It was released on May 25th, 2013. It has an IMDb score of 6.6 out of 10, and our first Dafoe sighting is at 30 seconds with his first line being, his name is Norman. I did research, and I think he has bird narcolepsy. There is such a thing. Fantastic. So so this is um, the short story of Defoe playing a hypochondriac ex-ping-pong player who hires a pet psychic to help his sick bird. <laughs> and if you're not interested in this after that description, then I don't know what to tell you. So I'll say across all three, this was, you know, the first time seeing any of these shorts for me getting into this. I was like, this was different. This was interesting. And I was like, this is fun. This is like a fun deviation from sort of the, the norm of things here, the Norman, if you will. But going into these quite blind as well, because obviously with that description, it's like, that sounds really weird. And it is, it is a weird short. He is a ping pong player called uh, Lionel Pembroke, I think the name was, who there was a ping pong or like a world championship in the 1989, it might have been, mm-hmm. or before. He got a cold, couldn't compete, and he's been sort of thinking about this championship over and over in his mind for 25 years. And then I believe that the pet psychic, also animal behaviorist, let's not, pi- let's not pigeonhole her into one profession, she does it all. <laughs> Through a conversation with Norman, she figures out, Norman's actually depressed. And so she uses that sort of diagnosis to actually help Lionel as well. So it's a strange story. It's a nice story. But um, for the first of these three, like, uh, Matt, what was your sort of takeaway and some of the things you enjoyed about, or maybe even disliked about uh, Saving Norman? Well, it's mad. I think one of the things you see uh, against all three shorts across all the actors that do this thing as well is there is often like the sort of really quirky, hyper-stylized one, the one that's a bit more of a naturalistic drama, and then one that's maybe a sort of a dark comedy. And it's funny how each of these actors seems to have picked three in, in that vein. And this is out of Defoe's ones, I guess. The one edging towards being the the most normal, really, which is saying a lot, uh, in terms of like <laughs> tone of character, at least, as well, compared to the other ones. But this is this feels to me like one of those shorts where it's like you really don't quite know what you're trying to do, and so you've thrown a lot at the wall and see what sticks, because once... You know, as soon as you start thinking you've got it pinned down, there's another element. And, you know, this isn't a lot of time to be playing around in this space. So I think for the length of the film, it does a pretty good job at kind of not feeling too bogged down with everything. And it does end up kind of getting to this quite interesting place where it's saying, like, you know, the the psychic kind of brings out a ping pong table and the guy he was meant to play in 1989 to kind of finally get closure and play that game. It kind of ends on that message of, like, you know, both of them were cursed in a way, like the guy who won is saying like that medal I won it brought nothing but bad luck I blew all my money and you know my wife left me and stuff and so you realize this whole thing of 
whether you won or lost that game, you've kind of had your life affected by it, which is quite a quite a big kind of little mini message in amongst all this. But mm-hmm. then it feels like that's a story in itself. The the parrot stuff is something else. The hypochondriacness is something else. So I've seen shorts like try and juggle a lot of things like this before and been less successful than this. But um it's definitely a weird mix. And you know, it's I think if this was just a normal short film that the the filmmaker had made with you know a mate of his instead of Hollywood legend Defoe you know you're looking at something slightly different and I think that's the case with with most of these it's interesting to see just how much having a bona fide A-lister appear in your like potentially debut short film can really elevate some some scripts that maybe aren't quite up to scratch but this one this one's an interesting one yeah I find it interesting with like one of the things I've noticed with short films especially like these three is shorts tend to have like the same structure as like a joke do you know what I mean and like they either like play in that kind of like pull back and reveal or like there is some kind of ultimate twist at the end or something do you know what I mean like they all kind of yeah. play in that sandbox like with this like there is that kind of like denouement of the whole thing that, that they he didn't actually meet the ping pong champion she just kind of got a cut she just got like a, a cut out of him and like put it on a board so he can just like play ping pong in his front his front yard kind of thing and it's like it feels like that is, and you, you you can probably speak more to this, Matt. Is that with the kind of short time frame you have, mm. do they tend to like fall into those kind of structures? Do you find with shorts or like? Yeah, it, it feels like the shorter you go, the the more likely you are to possibly be one of those joke structure ones where you're building up to either a punchline or a twist or a scare if you're a horror, and then you don't have to go much longer. It's a very fine cutoff point, I find, where like the short, short ones kind of are very much based on like setup and payoff almost immediately. Uh, whereas you go slightly longer and you get to play in a, a space a bit longer. So, you know, one of the Uma Thurman ones, I swear, has like 20 scenes in. It feels quite long, but then you look at it and it's been 15 minutes or something. So you can do something a little more in depth. But yeah, I think it all comes down to sort of how you how you play that final reveal, if that's what you're kind of going on by, which are definitely a lot of the other two ones here uh, playing. Whereas this one, I don't think was entirely beholden to that end sort of beat, which was quite nice, but it's definitely still in there. Yeah, definitely. I think exactly what you said there is Petros as well. I think thinking about like all the three shorts as well, all of them, you know, they all do have a, a funky premise, like a, a, a strange story that kind of brings you in. And then they do all sort of, I think with varying degrees of success, build to a kind of a pullback and reveal a little kind of twist thing as well. And I suppose like the one with this, as you said, was that like, was the opponent that he had actually there or not? Because mm-hmm. they, I think he was called Jin Ho Young, I think if I if I heard correctly. They talk about, as you said, the, the, the metal being cursed because his wife left him because he was big headed and he lost all his money on dog races. <laughs> then Lionel's sense of smell returns, they're playing into the night. And then he gets, uh, he's dressed up all in his, uh, I'm assuming his USA ping pong regalia. kit as well. He's a regalia. <laughs> uh, Norman's back on the shoulder. They sort of head out into the day. And it's that just, just that image of, of Jin instead. So there's that question of like, oh, was he ever actually playing anyone or has he been so wrapped up in this hypochondria and this, um, I don't know, this, 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 state of dare i say mania for like 25 years that he was never actually there and this pet psychic is actually some kind of genius i i, <laughs> I don't know so i've 
I think it's a it's, it's it's a quick way of distilling like a kind of it's got like the thing is this has got a good message right it's that kind of the cut like there is there is merit in the kindness to strangers and it's kind of like touching on some deep points of like loss and depression like this is like quite allegorical do you know what I mean like if this were extended like you could find out that the character of Lionel like yeah his life went to shit like he lost his like had a wife and stuff like that and that, that all kind of went to pot whereas like this just kind of distills it right down but one of the kind of big things i had like going through my head is like if this was even shorter i could imagine this being like a 30 second version of this being like an amazing cold and flu advert (laughs) (laughs) remember like the kind of like heyday of like adverts when you had like jim hoskins directing like the <laughs> adverts and like all the tango ads and stuff like that like, like are you hallucinating ping pong players and your bird hates you you need gaviscon yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting looking up the um because obviously with letterbox now i can see if any of these directors went on to do anything sure and this director haneke shoot did do a feature film in 2018 called Meerkat Moonship, and the synopsis reads, Timid, wildly imaginative 13-year-old Gideonette Delaray learns that the name she was given comes with it a horrible curse. After her father dies, Gideonette is paralyzed by fear and is sent to live on a farm in the forest with her grandparents where she befriends a young deaf boy who is training to become an astronaut and preparing to fly away in a moonship that Gideonette's grandfather had built. So definitely following through on the uh, throw everything at this and see what sticks, but be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah south south africa so this will be the south african entry yeah i mean we you know we we, we stand a, um, a broad imagination so yeah like very interesting short um like I, I enjoyed it i enjoyed it i like i quite like stuff that takes flights of fancy or sort of has those kind of like elements in there i think there was a movie i saw I can say not recently, probably last year. I called Phantom of the Open, which is about like the worst golfer ever. Mm. There was little like flights of fancy in that, but there was kind of like a touching like core buried within it as well. And it kind of made me think of I can't quite think who directed it, but it had some kind of Mighty Boosh alumni. It was a film called like Bunny and the Ball from like ten years ago, mm. which I really really enjoyed as well. And it kind of made me think about that stuff where it's kind of like this, Mindhorn as well. Mindhorn, like this yeah. kind of like um like a kind of a, a very imaginative like stylings which um, ticks a lot of boxes for me so i was you know certainly a big fan of, of saving norman i take which... you guys haven't seen willem dafoe's inside yet whether or not that is a full-length remake of this film <laughs> i have seen inside but i, I haven't yes I will not be. I will not be sharing my thoughts mm-hmm. and opinions just yet. One of the things I wanted to mention is like just Defoe's performance in this because like he nails being ill. Like he's kind of like him <laughs> doing like the nasally voice and like I love like the styling as well. Like the way his like you you get a sense of the character just by like his hair. Like he has this kind of like it's just like and that's the thing you'd imagine all of these shorts would have been like filmed fairly close in sequence. Jeremy mm. kind of like over like a few weeks must have had him for like a weekend or something for all three or however it worked out yeah it's probably tight with time and just this kind of thing of like oh we'll style his hair in this way almost like in some kind of like 2007 style kind of like boxy fringe with like the wispy bits down the side like you kind of like you just get a sense of this losery character just on those like kind of Mm. subtle details and like yeah i love i love the i love the kind of nuances that he plays and yeah he nails the kind of doing the nasal voice like it's like borderline Paul Weller hair, isn't it? Throughout all, yeah. all the yeah, yeah, shorts. Yeah. So, 
I think I think they must all have been filmed in like probably maybe successive weekends or something like that. So I mean, I don't know how long it takes to film a short, but you imagine it's kind of a quick turnaround on these. But I think going back to what you you said, Matt, like having the benefit of an A lister that just takes you know what is a good idea to like a great execution mm. as well, like the elevation through and. Uh, you know, like the other actors in this, and like shout out to Norman, great bird, great bird acting. Uh, can't fault the bird acting in this at all, but um, it just takes it from like, oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. To like, oh, that's actually quite good, um, yeah. and, and it made me very interested to you know see more of the more of the director as well, which I think is you know for, for a first time venture into the filming game, I think it's nothing but a, a yeah, positive and a bonus as well. It's that thing of like, I think you take good famous actors for granted when all you see them in is big proper stuff and it reminds me of that thing of you know people say at the olympics they should have just one normal person also doing each event so you can gauge just how good everyone else is <laughs> and it's that kind of thing like you plop an a-lister into a, a short from you know a first-time filmmaker and just see how effortlessly good they are and you got to think you know how much do they elevate a script that maybe would be flat or do you think this would work in the same way without them or you know what is this saying about the direction itself like how much of it is down to the director versus uh just the actor's sheer like charm and, uh, and ability and it's interesting watching all these shorts from this competition and, and never really seeing anywhere you know shock horror the a-lister is bad or something so it's like obviously they're yeah. they're doing yeah. really good and they could half-ass these kind of things um but also it means that you know the filmmakers involved aren't all bad enough that they can even bring like a maggie gyllenhaal down to being shit so that's saying something as well but um i'll also just shout out because i can see the poster on letterbox here in quite high def pretty good tagline for this as well it isn't about the winning it's the never taking part that counts so <laughs> very enjoyable amazing that. amazing i love i love that, <laughs> I love that. and i i I think like the kind of opposite to what you said as well, Matt, can be thinking. I think directors should be every so often just given like, do you know what I mean? A cut, like, yeah, something with awful actors and be like, go on then, direct this into something. <laughs> yeah, right. show, show us what you've got, baby. Do you know what I mean? like, or, or just like, okay, okay, yeah. Okay, Martin Scorsese, yeah, you can you can kind of like hit your roller decks. I mean, you got you got De Niro, mm-hmm. you got you got you got DiCaprio. Give us something with like, do you know what I mean? Like some faces we've never seen before. Like I know he's kind of doing that as well, like with Lily Goldstone in the in the new one and stuff. But do you know what I mean? Like a, a kind of, a, 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 I think Spielberg kind of nailed it with Side Story, and it's it's almost you get excited by those films, right? When it's like kind of like like we were saying with To Live and Die in LA, people you've never seen before, you just kind yeah. of like, that's a, oh. Well, yeah, some people have it way too easy. You know, Wes Anderson, you know, you surround yourself <laughs> with that cast, ain't no way it's going to be uh, bad. But, you know, you get the, the, the director's making the films that find unknowns and makes you really believe in them and really pulls a performance out of somebody who's maybe not used to it as well. I, I think, you know, I think they must be doing wonders. And it's those type of films I'd love to be a fly on the wall of the making of and be like, you know, how did you get this person to to do that? Or if it's somebody who, like, you, you know, maybe, if it's someone you know and you're like, oh, I know them personally, so I know what they're like. And then I saw them in this film and they were transformative in a way that makes it seem like the character they're playing is just who that person is. It's like, wow, that's that's got to be really some really good hand-in-hand stuff from a really good director and uh, somebody stepping up. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think on a, you know, that note, it's time for, I suppose, our first of three wrap-ups here. You know, if you've heard the podcast before, you'll know where we're going. But for newer listeners, we 
have to assess some very specific things anytime we come to the end of a, a movie or a short as it may be. And the first we have to ask in this movie, in this short, does he do deface? Uh, so, Matt, are there any notable defaces in uh, in this short here? I'm going to say no for this one. I think he's keeping it quite close to his chest. More on defaces later, but like in terms of this one, no, I think this is at him at his most like unthreatening, uh, naturalistic uh, character here. So quite neutral, I think. Neutral under faces. Neutral under faces. Uh, Petros, any faces for you? I think you have a, a whisper of a deface when he's like kind of going gung ho on the ping pong. You kind of get like the kind of cons like Joe. You really have to like <laughs> this is in the highest. I'd love to have seen this like real high depth to really like be able to just stretch out the screen and see. Because imagine this take. <laughs> I'm like, zooming in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? like, in heart, computer enhance. Because like, you can imagine when he's like really getting into the ping pong, he's like. Mm. He's probably gurning his tits <laughs> off. Like, so like there's there's a whisper of it. There's a kind of there's a hint of the face, but we never we never get the, the close up kind of money shot of it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's the ghost of Christmas to face that could have been <laughs> um, this one. I think I'd lean more towards a no on this one. I, th- I think I, said, I know it's not, we always say it's not a sliding scale, but there's there was potential for the face, but I think I'm gonna say no on the the face for Sarah Norman, and of course, we come to our rating uh, again for newer listeners. You may not, may or may not be aware. We don't just give it thumbs up. We don't just give it thumbs down. We rate it on brand in classic Defoe style. Is it good? We give it a friend. If we didn't enjoy it, we give it a Defoe. So, Matt, for yourself, for the first of our three shorts, Saving Norman. Defriend or Defoe? Yeah, I'll give this one a Defriend. I think it's, uh, I think it is very charming, and I think it, I think it tries a lot deliberately, and it, it lands more than it doesn't. And almost despite of what everything it's trying to do, I think it has more charm to it. I think, uh, I think Defoe's great. Yeah, you know, more short films should try and be more unique without being overly cloying. And I think that's it. I don't think there's any one element to this that makes you sort of roll your eyes, even though there is a lot going on. And I think that's a testament to the tone this is able to put across in those small parts to the director and, and Defoe here. So, yeah, different. Fantastic. That is one friend for saving Norman Petros. Same question, friend or Defoe? Oh, it's a friend from me as well. Like, he... Defoe really puts in a shift, and that's the thing, when you're, like, a first-time director and especially coming into like kind of unique setting to make a short as well like uh, you can only imagine the kind of it's amplified the pressure to make a short like like you said if you're making it with your mate there's an element of oh it's just a couple of mates like you know i mean like sam raimi making uh evil dead there is an element of like it's just him and his mates out in the woods having fun so like the pressure's off so imagine like your first short is oh yeah you've got world do you know what I mean you've got the biggest hog in the game Willem Dafoe <laughs> swinging up to set <laughs> hog father himself <laughs> so so I think I think that the director knows it and like Dafoe just puts in a kind of like a great performance and obviously he's gonna be the anchor to this anyway because why would you have him like have him for a weekend and not utilize him to his best <laughs> it's good to see that he kind of it doesn't seem like he's doing this for a favor or, or like Jeremy, you know I, mean? I imagine he's probably got some some Jameson. Yes, please. Yeah, I, I love a glass of Jameson's of an evening after I've done some Astanga yoga. Yes, please. Um, 
he doesn't he he he's dialed into it he's not kind of just phoning something in and that's that's great to see so it's a, it's a firm defriend from me as well fantastic yeah i think it's 3 for 3 on the defriends from me like i say it tries a lot of stuff um i think lands more but it doesn't i completely agree with that and i think it's indicative of you know not to give too much away about my feelings on the next two shorts but it's it's great to see that you know Defoe's seen these scripts he said yes and he's completely on the worlds that they're building for seven minutes mm-hmm. here so as i said in the description you know you read that out and you're like this sounds like a lot this sounds <laughs> insane but between him and the, the director and everything that's going on in the short it, it completely works for me so i am by all accounts a big fan of uh saving norman which i think it's time to bring on our second of the three shorts love's routine so petros Get your papers together. I want some more de facts and de figures, please. Here we go for some more de facts and de figures. Love's Routine is written and directed by Sherlene Wong. The film stars Linda Porter, Deborah Van Valkenberg. What a name. And our boy, Willem Dafoe. It was released on June 9th, 2013 an imdb rating of 6.8 out of 10 our first defoe sighting is at 16 seconds and his opening line is that's all right i like to watch you yes <laughs> so love's routine this is a uh, a dark comedy in which an odd couple prove that love goes deeper than just flesh and blood so i suppose first things first is like when i you know, we found the links for this. This was in uh, glorious 360p on YouTube <laughs> until I think we all separately found a higher definition version. So I I, I didn't realise that it was a completely different actress at the start opposite Willem Dafoe. And I thought it was, that's a few because the name escapes me, but I thought it was the same woman who played um, Aunt May in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. I was like, it's the Green Goblin and uh, Aunt May and sitting at the dinner table. What's this all about? I realised completely different elderly, elderly women when I found it in higher definition. But uh, this one, another bit of a, a bit of a strange one, a bit of like a dark tint here with the foe playing Barry, who we sort of come to understand is I think some kind of like service android, and like the name implies, there is a very strict routine that these two have. They'll have a fish dinner with a bit of lemon on there. Then um, they'll, well, I say eat. She will eat some like ice popsicles while watching TV. Then they raw dog. They repeat, they, <laughs> they repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, which we find that they've been doing for uh, 42 years, 23 days, 15 hours, 23 minutes in counting. But yeah, another interesting one that kind of, kind of like a, almost like a slow build for a short in some ways. But this was one, I was like, okay, this is kind of surprising. And then there was just that shot of naked Defoe like climbing off from this old woman. It's like, <laughs> okay, all right, here we go. This is a rug pulled, ladies and gentlemen, rug pulled. But yeah, over to for yourself, Matt. Like, what did you make of this one, Love's Routine? Oh God, imagine if that was Aunt May. My word. <laughs> what fan fiction have we stumbled into? <laughs> the goblin gets his woman in the end. <laughs> Rosemary Harris. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I'd, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call this a, a, a black mirror style. I'd call it a, a, a black pocket mirror. You know, it's a mini mirror um, <laughs> of this type of, you know, the way that technology plays off in the very 
near future. Um, but it's good. It's like a nice little um, sci-fi tale. It's one that you know is is all the more relevant today as the AI debates rage, rage on. And it feels like there's been a lot of sort of films, you know, both feature length and short that deal with androids in some manner. Uh, and I think this does bring something new to the table. It's um, it's a bit like the uh, oh. God, I've only just thought of it. The um the John Hamm film. It'll come to me. Marjorie yeah, Marjorie Prime, which again is another one about an elderly person having a sort of like a robot helper companion uh, around with them. I don't know if that's based on a book or anything, but obviously the short predates that feature, I think. But it's 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 wonderful to see a kind of real kindly gentle Defoe. I, I wonder if, you know, he chose this one on the basis of this is something different for me. People can see me as this uh, nurturing, mm-hmm. caring type. Um, and, you know, he was born to play a lonely sex worker, a <laughs> sex robot, as it were. Um, and it's it's fun and it, it does kind of, you know, hold its uh, reveal close to its chest. I mean, it's fairly obvious going in, but they don't, you know, they don't hang a lantern on it straight away. But then, you know, eventually when the main sort of inciting incident happens, which is, you know, the old lady dies, then it's kind of, this is where you can see if this was a feature, this would be, you know, the inciting incident that would lead to this sort of existential unraveling of this character trying to wrestle with his possible sentience. Like here, it's not really mm-hmm. um, labeled as much, but for someone who has been doing the same thing for 42 years, like at what what do you do at that point? But in a short, you know, there's not as much place to sp- uh, space to play but we do get the great little sort of cameo from like the tech guys who just come and sort of unplug his head with some great little effects there and i did really i think the biggest laugh for me out of all three of these is the moment when they're sort of like oh don't worry we'll take care of you and it just hard cuts to him being like left in the trash just like on the side of the street (laughs) in this really like awkwardly physical sort of like side plank uh, position. It's, it's very, yeah, it's very unhuman-like and very well done. So I liked all this, but then you know, I think the ending was missing a bit of a, a bit of a punch because you know the twist is, I assume that the the neighbor has come and taken him in as her own uh, sex toy. But it kind of just cuts from him being left out in the street to him being with like another another woman. I think it might just be missing something here to kind of link those two because I kind of, unless I missed it, I think I had to kind of make that leap myself of just like. Because at first I was like, is this, you know, another model of him somewhere else? Is this something else going on? But I think it is meant to be that the neighbors just nicked him for herself. So I think you could have, with a bit more time, have maybe sprinkled in the neighbor earlier. Like she could have come around and been like jealous of him or something. Like, again, I think I'm thinking of like a bigger, bigger film. So for this one with the focus primarily on Defoe and the uh, old lady prime, there's some really nice like nurturing little little moments in there and and yeah i guess it is like the the black mirror episode of uh one of hayley atwell and donald gleason in but it's you know it's it's an idea that's uh forever gone back to and it's what you do with it that counts and i think this one yeah makes a good claim for its uh, existence it's pretty good yeah i think this is the one of the three and i'm not sure whether like, i'm still kind of unsure if this is praise or like to its detriment it's like it felt like it needed to be longer. Mm. It felt like this is the one that I yeah, could like yeah. see being like a feature or like you said, like an episode of sort of like 45 minutes to an hour just to kind of delve deeper into the world of it, of like what, what was going on. But it's really, it, I think it, 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 it does well with what it's doing. Like, and it's, it's interesting. Like you saying about your read on it, Matt, like I found the foe like on the first watch, like quite sinister. <laughs> like in his like yeah. you know I mean? in, in, in his coldness and stuff like that and i was like oh is this gonna be like is he just this kind of like 
he gets these women in their twilight years and then kind of like, like especially when she starts to choke it's like always oh, and I, I think that's what the, the misdirect in this is like mm. i found that quite good in that the thing of like is he like this guy who and i can imagine that being like played out in like a feature length of like the reveal coming at the end that he's actually this kind of sex robot basically but this thing of like you see him essentially haphazardly like killing these older women or do you know I mean in different various ways whether it's natural causes like this woman or one of them yeah like he accidentally pushes someone down the stairs. Do you know what I mean? This could be expanded mm. upon. Whereas, like, the then you get the reveal at the end that it was a robot the mm. whole time. Well, like, so I'll say the one thing that could, you know, make that point completely work is, unfortunately, if it wasn't Defoe playing this character, because if it was a younger guy, yeah. then you might be like, oh, is he some sort of gold digger type? And that's why yes. he's letting her die to get inheritance. Then the reveal that he's been with her for 42 years, when it's clearly a guy who's like 28, kind of lands a bit more as well but obviously you know I, Defoe could have said I've been with her for 63 years or something and he'd be like oh, okay you look pretty good for that age <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 there's the idea she got that droid and it's it's always looked like that Defoe <laughs> so she would have been I don't know 20 or 30 when she got this <laughs> just bought it like that just just bought it fresh out of the yeah. package like vintage Defoe straight <laughs> out of the box I think that there's those two like removal guys or the droid repairman, whatever you want to call them. They sort of make that passing comments like, "Well, you know, these old ladies—they've just got millions to spend." <laughs> and it's like it's just you buy it. Mm. The, 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 the fuck about three thousand, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, make no mistake about it—he fucked her to death. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment as well when she's like, he tries to go again. She's like, not again. My body isn't what it used to be. <laughs> He's then being like, oh, I'm, I'm programmed to give you two two servings of dick a night. Like, <laughs> just the one. <laughs> this is a breach of my coding. Like, I must fuck. I am literally programmed for the purpose to prepare fish, eat ice lollies, and fuck. <laughs> to get that on a t-shirt, just... <laughs> Prepare fish, eat ice lolly, and fuck. There's, <laughs> and there's, our, first, there's our first uh, <laughs> podcast t-shirt. <laughs> and I say, Petros, we don't even put like the uh, <laughs> the pod, podcast name on it. Just prepare fish, eat ice lolly, fuck. It's like, what does that mean? It's like, mm, just <laughs> funny little shirt I've earned on the internet. <laughs> Sounds like a good existence, to be honest. Like, uh, yeah. I'm not much of a fish. And yeah, I'm not much of a fish man, but I'm, I'm like, as the foe's opening line says, I, um, it's all right. I like to watch. I, I feel you, brother. <laughs> two out of three. Two out of those three things I can do, and I'm not going to tell you which. Um, I'm going to leave that open to the imagination. But <laughs> never quite got the hang of fish. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to fuck the fish. Oh, oh damn it! Yeah. The, messed it up again i completely agree though with what you were saying petros is like the first time watching like i thought we were getting i guess we're kind of almost predisposition to it in this day and age in the age of black mirror and real life events happening all the time and like in i think in the real world of like automatons they're making these robots that can do parkour and flip and fuck wives and just run and uh, jump and all this business as well so i thought there was going to be this um dark twist and the way he was like oh no i like to watch and he sort of watched where she coughed up that pee like i thought like oh is he putting stuff in there to try and kill her but then he kind of realized that no sort of behind this robotic coldness 
um, you know, maybe even somewhere beyond the programming. Like the name of the, the short says, there is some kind of love of the routine there. And I think it kind of hits home after um, Margie, the old lady who he sort of serves, passes away. He gets a call from Cynthia, the neighbor, and she's like, oh, do you, do you need, are you okay? Do you need someone to sort of help? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Um, and you do get the sense there is this modicum of sadness there because X amount of time passes and you just see the, the plates of fish suppers piling up on the sink. He's continuing his routine. He's hold, just holding ice lollies and that kind of, I guess that, that weird kind of trying to acclimatize to the, to, to the new, maybe it's android loneliness, I don't really know, but he's in bed and he's like, night Margie, lamp off. He's just like, night Margie, night Margie. So, so there is that kind of like sadness there, which is then kind of kicked away by the jarring 45 degree angle out on the curb. And then, <laughs> and then Cynthia comes in, who, Deborah Van Valkenburg, who was in, in the Warriors, I remember as well. I was like, I know, know I recognize you from somewhere. And, I'm like, and obviously, I think I agree with what you said in that as well. Like, I don't know if for me, this movie, movie, this short, well, short movie, needed maybe like a bigger twist because it kind of, I don't want to say plateau because I don't think that's completely fair, but it it settled into, obviously, the, the neighbor picks up the droid and resets him. And unless all the houses are the same, did she move into the house? <laughs> I think. Just had the one set. That was it. We, we got a roll. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, one, we've got no time. We have no time. But yeah, I think, I think from what we gave, she just moved into the house and now she's, Getting fish prepared, ice lollies um, consumed, and getting raw dogged by the defunct <laughs> as well. <laughs> I like to imagine maybe in in some kind of obscure way that he's been serving people for a long time, and he this is not the first old woman he's killed. Um, <laughs> I don't think he meant to. I don't think he means to. But uh, I I have to imagine this is not the first elderly lady he's fucked to death. But because yeah, do the do the repair guys say that? Oh, this is a really old model as well. And I think the hint is because, you know, because he's been doing this for 42 years, but it would have been funny if it's like, yeah, those 42 years weren't even his first client and he's actually been around for like 180 or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sucking ice lollies and fucking old women. <laughs> Making a fish dinner in between. What a life. <laughs> but yeah, definitely to, to Petros' point, I think, I think if this film was any amount of time different, it would have landed slightly better and it almost doesn't, really matter which because like a version of the story works as a feature works as an hour-long episode or something works as a half hour works as a 20-minute episode or something and i think even like a 15-minute short of this would work just nine minutes slightly off like a four-minute version where you just get right to the sort of setup and reveal bare bones would almost possibly work better than this it's just unfortunately placed right in this awkward time where it's like just long enough to get into things but slightly too short to kind of pave over the uh the pacing crack so i think you know despite that i think it still does still does well yeah there could have been a great kind of closing shot of this of him lent against the wall and then us just like a shot of like the neighbor dragging <laughs> him across the road to her house and then kind of like credits there like that would have been like a really kind of like thing and like yeah that that would have been great if she was kind of seeded in a bit earlier or whatever like that idea of like oh the fuck about five thousand is amazing <laughs> <laughs> the fish fucker five thousand <laughs> yeah even another neighbor character who has a more recent model you know and has like more money and just has the one that's like you know serves 
two lots of fish and fucks you five times you know whatever whatever the whatever the the modern one is going for who's just like always always knackered from all the sex she's constantly having so just this real real comparison going on that's the thing you can sit that's why i think this has got the scope to be a larger story because you can kind of get into this kind of like stepford wivesy like Mm. don't worry darling-esque thing of like 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 the commentary on and i think this this, that's the thing in, in a in a nine minute short packs in like kind of uh, a commentary on aging on mm. kind of like loneliness on kind of like the, the, the things it's doing it nails them like you kind of you, they're, they're kind of front and center and you get them but it is that thing you, you are just left wanting more and so i think sometimes that can leave you feeling unfulfilled in, in, in a slight way but that's not to kind of diminish obviously yeah Sh- uh, shirling wong's work because it's she does it's great it's kind of it's entertaining for those nine minutes it's just kind of like yeah you can tell this is somebody who's like oh like you're kind of you've got bigger stories in you and i kind of want to see them definitely definitely sometimes you just want a little bit more lemon on your fish gonna <laughs> <laughs> coin that phrase as well but with that said it's time you come to the ratings for love's routine so first we will find between ourselves if there were any defaces here in Love's Routine. So, Matt, for yourself, any defaces in Love's Routine? No, not that I can recall. I think this is going to be the lowest on the deface rating for sure, because he is deliberately quite robotic, quite very still and normal-faced, shall we say. So, yeah, no deface from me. No deface there. Petros, yourself, any defaces? No, no wild gurning. There is kind of like, I do like the kind of hard cut we get from like nighttime Defoe to like, daytime where it's like kind of like just like laying back or robotic and stuff like that but like yeah it's just like his expressive face there is nothing where he's going wildly swinging for the fences in this so no this uh i think i think i think i think he saved up all his defaces for a certain film we're going to be talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah hard agreeing all of that no defaces for me on this one um you know he, he, he played the robot that he had to play so no uh, no issue with that. But let's wrap up here on Love's Routine. So, uh, Matt, to begin with yourself, Love's Routine, the friend or Defoe? So I think when I was watching these, I think this was the one that most veered towards a Defoe, if I was going to Defoe any of them. But I think, you know, reliving it and, and talking it out, you know, I don't like to poo-poo any kind of shorts, really, unless they're awful. And this is clearly not awful. So out of the three, it might be my least favourite by a hair, but just because of uh, it's slightly less original than saving norman and and the one coming up is uh is something else but i'm still going to go with friend now actually because i think you know it's 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 battling it's battling a lot and what it does put across you know thinking about it again thinking of the empathy and and sadness in this very short performance from defoe you know he truly does prove he can kind of do anything with these and uh you know kevin spacey aside it would be great if this kind of competition did come back so i'd love to see what kind of actors mm-hmm. would be up for going yeah i'll do three shorts with some with some newbies because you know you do get to showcase yourself yeah i can't quite think of you know a, a feature performance that 
plays in the same sort of ballpark in the same way. I'm sure you guys will over time when you have the whole gamut. But um, it's it's yeah, it's a side of Defoe haven't seen a lot of. I appreciate that. Yeah, give us a few years and we'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously Petros, same question. The friend or Defoe on Love's Routine. I'm not just going to say this because earlier today I emailed Shirlene Wong to see if she'll come on the podcast, but I'm giving this film a defriend. And like that is because it kind of has, like I said, it has this kind of thing that I like in a kind of like Ira Glass style story. Like it's kind of playing in that Stepford Wives area. There's like almost like like an Edward Scissorhandsy thing to it, like this thing of like suburbia and like I don't know people bringing in these kind of strange beings into their house. And I like that it kind of wrong footed me as well. I I really enjoyed the kind of reveal in this one. Like on subsequent rewatches, you can kind of see that he's a robot from the start. But on that kind of first watch, like thinking back to that, you can really kind of. It, it it plays it well where you think oh this could be a sinister character and then it's like oh no he's just he's programmed that way that's why he's kind of acting unhuman in the way he is so yeah it's a it's a friend from me wonderful so that's two friends and i think i've got to make it a third friend on this one as well because you know the fuck about three thousand aside <laughs> it, it, i think like you said petros i think he, he, the first time watch it wrong foots you a little bit but it progresses into, you know, when you sort of break it down, a, a sweet story with some nice notes in there as well. And it's definitely one that was like, yeah, I could see this working. I think, like you said, Malika, as a shorter thing, as a longer thing, it's got, you know, the story you can say is well trodden, but it's executed well. I sort of enjoyed the time I spent with the characters. And the foe looks great in a light blue sweater vest. Let's not take that from him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not take that from him either. So three the friends there on Love's Routine. So... We come to the third of the shorts, last but by no means least, it is The Smile Man. So, Petros, if you would mind doing the honours one more time, if we can get some defacts and defigures, if you please. Ladies and gentlemen, your third outing of the facts and the figures are here in your lap right now, like a warm smile across your faces. The Smile Man is written and directed by Anton Lashikov. It stars Camille Gorty, Jeremy Lucas, Damien D. Smith, James St. James, uh, David St. James, should I say, and our boy, Willem Dafoe. It was released on the 15th of June, 2013, has an IMDb score of 7.3 out of 10. Our first Dafoe sighting is at 1 minute and 5 seconds with an amazing whip pan to his smiling face. And his first line is, great. (laughs) (laughs) So the smile man uh, finds our... Uh, unnamed protagonist, which for the purpose of this, we'll probably just call him Willem. Uh, following a car accident, a man must live the rest of his life with a big old smile on his face. So I think it's fair to say we've we've sort of beaten around the bush a little bit for the smile man. And even if you've not seen this short before, there is a very good chance you've probably seen the gif, or jif, however you want to pronounce it, of Willem Dafoe gurning like a maniac in the back of a taxi. <laughs> I'd seen that the gif, gif, I'm a gifer, I'm a gifer, I don't care if it's pronounced gif, gif. I've seen that gif 
a thousand times. Never placed it, I assumed. Oh, it's probably one of those obscure Defoe roles. In some ways it was, but now we've, I've finally got context for it, which is incredible. This one, uh, The Smile Man, it opens a week since a car accident. We find our character, uh, again, we'll say Willem for the sake of ease, has nerve damage due to a fracture on his spinal cord, which has paralyzed the nerve muscles on his face, meaning he's going to smile for the rest of his life. And it's uh, it's almost sort of him coming to terms with that, trying to make amends with people who've been affected by this accident as well. It is uh, Willem Dafoe quite literally using all of his acting muscles in his face <laughs> um, to give quite a... I don't know if, this is, if there's a right word to describe this, like a bizarre physicality, which I think only Defoe could have pulled off. If ever there was a face for for a role, um, <laughs> I think this was the one. A very interesting piece, a very um, simple yet effective execution of this concept but yeah obviously again matt over to yourself your your thoughts on the smile man well yeah they knew what they were doing with this one didn't they um you know <laughs> straight up weaponizing the face um i like to think you know of a guy of, of this russian director you know going right it's willem dafoe in, in this one i'm gonna write something that he might say no to but is clearly written for him and i like to think that he read this and thought you know what you're right I've got a sense of humor. I'm going to play up to this. And, you know, they really do showcase the face truly. And it's, it, it is a fun little short. I think it's, I think it's narratively quite skimpy uh, almost by nature, but it just has a series of scenes going on that get to showcase Willem Dafoe with this manic grin on his face in a, a variety of situations, uh, including, as you mentioned, the, the gif moment when he's trying to hail the cab and, the cabbie just thinks he's on the, like a hidden camera prank show. And I'm ama- I'm, I love that someone out there at a certain point pulled that moment as a gif. And not just the, the shot as it is, but zoomed in on him in that back seat. Because I was waiting for that moment. And when it happens, it is more of a, a two-shot wide of him doing that head turn. And I'm like, so someone specifically zoomed in, made it a gif, and it's done the rounds. And I do wonder how many people know where this is from. Because <laughs> you're right, this is a very obscure place for it to come from. But I think it is the one that is kind of most widely known... Because, you know, you hear about Willem Dafoe doing a film all about being a guy who can't stop smiling. And it's like, well, yeah, I got to see that. And, and so many reviews across YouTube and, and Letterboxd are all in the in the vein of why hasn't this guy been the Joker yet? This is insane. Uh, and it's very true. It is almost some sort of twisted audition for it. But it's it's fun. And, and like the he's trying to make amends with uh, a woman who was also in the car accident and the kind of eventual twist as it is one that kind of leads to one of these of her being where it was Willem can't stop smiling. She can't stop crying is a nice kind of little, little twist I do just kind of wish like, like the last one I felt dropped the ball slightly. The, the final button here of him having a moment where he finally is actually smiling and he gets to say, this is me smiling. It's a, quite a nondescript moment in a way it's like they have this kind of final sort of chat and then it leads to him saying that and i think it would have been would have been neater or more fun to have a moment you know really put him through hell and then he kind of finally gets to this moment and you know his last line is i am smiling which is basically what they do here but it just feels like it kind of 
get squeezed in at the last minute as if they knew that's where they needed the film to end on but it's just coming out the back of quite like a genuine connection moment between these two characters so I can see the intention but I think the execution there is slightly off but you know for all that this film gives us with Defoe just getting into trouble like you know they must have just had so much fun kind of like plotting out the the scrapes he could have gone into like you know running into the sort of the uh, the street tough who's about to like deck him and he's like I swear I'm not smiling I'm not laughing at you goes a long way <laughs> this is like evergreen kind of territory right you can kind of just write a thousand of these like a man a man who cannot like not smile like just kind of do you know what I mean you can kind of spitball that and be like what would be the worst situations and like the kind of jokes you get peppered in throughout this like when you like he's kind of like talking about his life he's like yeah I got a, I got a part-time job like uh, but I, I won't be going back there and it's like well where do you work oh I'm a funeral director's assistant like oh, so what do you have to do i have to console the grieving families (laughs) (laughs) that's great that stuff yeah like you said the the street tough and it's not just the kind of facial physicality we get from here we get some great kind of like just physical acting from defoe whether it's like we get the prat fall when he kind of like uh accidentally knocks into a ladder at one point in in her apartment and then like even the way when he grabs her her handbag off the back of the taxi and he just like lunges forward and he's like you're back like and he's kind of like full body acting and it's like it's just kind of like a showcase of like defoe just kind of like he is this elastic like man like who could do it. and you can just imagine like you try and smile for like 20 seconds it's kind of, you can really like feel it in your face and it's like you can imagine this would have been like quite grueling to do like all the takes he would have had to have done of just like you know just have this fixed smile and it's it's uniform as well it never kind of seems to drop at all it's just kind of beaming full teeth smile mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing and it's kind of it's, it's it's a hoot from like start to finish that's kind of like that's like my first note on this it's just kind of like it's just an, like an evergreen kind of uh premise and i think what shorts are good at is just kind of having these one sentence pitch and just be like, yeah, Jermaine, Willem Dafoe is plays a man who 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 can't not smile. And it's like, yeah, I mean, like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'm all the way in. Like and it's kind of yeah, it's but it's it, I don't know, it's just so fun. Yeah, I that was one of my like most prominent thoughts watching this as well was like Exactly, Zepatros. Like it, it must hurt your face to keep that smile. Obviously, you know you're stood there like gurning, and your full teeth are out. You're like stretched up to your cheekbones, smiling. And obviously, you've got to hold that because they're they're setting up the shot. They're getting the lighting right. You're hitting your marks. You've got all that going on as well. And then you've got to do like so much acting work with the physicality of your body. With and it kind of. Um, I guess almost restricts the face as well because you're smiling and you can't really do much else. So there's a lot of like acting that has to come from like the brow and the eyes and sort of the creases of the face as well. And it kind of, I think it's touching on something that you said, Matt, about this one as well. Obviously, Defoe's in this script and this is one that he's put forward and said like, yeah, I want to do this one. Almost made me wonder of like, almost to an extent the extreme physicality of this short is if it's one of these things that maybe harken back to his Wooster group days in like experimental theatre as well and kind of like was this one of the ones that like 
it reminded me of those theatre days presented a completely different challenge because the, the, the joy of these shorts that they're all also different as well and I know we've sort of touched on the other ones to say that you know this could work shorter this could work longer I think for me like I don't know if this could have worked outside of a short because I think no. the, the concept of it I think after this amount of time is like okay I get it he smiles like unless you know call it call it um call a Batman villain a Batman villain here unless you are an absolute criminal and you are the Joker then I, <laughs> this is going to wear very thin mm-hmm. very quickly and I found that there was an article online that I found as well. I'm not sure when it was published. I think it was in the last few years from Gentleman's Journal. Um, and it is like 3,000 words about Defoe's face. Um, and he, he's sort of said before that he's not that aware of it, like his own words. Um, he said, a direct quote, I sometimes see pictures of myself out of the context of acting you know, red carpet pictures, things like that. And I just look so ugly. I look so grotesque and weird. My face expresses things that I don't even intend for to it to express sometimes. It's got a mind of its own. To that point, I, I, I watched an interview with him earlier where he said, like, he has to, like, actually think about his, like, face whilst acting because he is so expressive. So, like, like you're saying, him being caught off guard, he, he kind of referred it to like a sports car. He's like, it can go from kind of like elated to like, just kind of, it can just like wildly oscillate all over the place. It goes, goes from naught to 60 in seconds. So like when he's doing films, he kind of has to like his, it almost tame his face in a way. And it's just like, I think I sent you a clip, Daryl on, on WhatsApp being like, it's the foe on the face. Like this has got like a kind of minute long of him going, like, going, yeah, I just don't know what to do with this face. Sometimes I have to really think about it. Like, <laughs> I imagine he wants to kind of like all over the place. And it's like, it, it is day to day life. And it's like, I'd love to, I'd love to be able to spend some time with him. Just like, just, just watch his face now like you know what's he doing what's it i don't know what's making a cup of coffee like for him picture him just like in the morning brushing his teeth staring at the mirror just like what does that look like <laughs> it's like a tex avery cartoon <laughs> alive. to be a fly on the wall in the house of defoe yeah uh, you know what what he wouldn't give but I think he said before, is like, I think it's, you know, for a similar reason why he doesn't really mind doing like nudity and stuff like that. He's like, look, the body is the tool of the actor as much as the voice is. So, you know, and hopefully he said it with a certain tone and hopefully he doesn't mean it that way as, as it may come across on the written page with that quote as well. But, you know, hopefully he doesn't see his, his face as some kind of uh, negative in his arsenal. Um, because look, we have a dedicated Defoe podcast, and Willem, and if for any reason you're listening, we bloody love your face. Don't you dare change it, you silly, silly goose. But like I said, back in terms of the shore, it's I think I think they do sort of enough with the different situations of like what the situations that the face can sort of get you into, and you know he's he's speaking with the taxi driver. He's just a bit like he he screams while smiling, which is like that's impressive. <laughs> That's actually, I'm not going to try and do it now because at the time <laughs> it's a little bit late, so I'm not going to try and follow spin. that cab. <laughs> <laughs> I can't bring myself to do it. I can't bring myself to do it. Um, he's confronted by the thug. He's like, I'm not smiling. This is how I smile. Face doesn't change. <laughs> and it's obviously all building up to him trying to return the bag 
to um i think you see some like the id card the business card irene i think her name is mm. it, it's sort of suggested that they are involved in the same car accident so like with, with i guess with like the build towards their sort of meeting as well because he finds where she lives returns the bag locks herself out of the uh, the apartment and then they have this sort of conversation where obviously you, you learn i said he was a funeral director's assistant but for her she was about to be like the co-anchor or like a primetime news host but now, because of her reflection in the accident, any time she experiences any kind of emotion, she cries. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if I gun to my head, if I had to choose one of the two, which one I'd rather be. Maybe, maybe tears, I think, if I had to choose. But I think, like you said, Matt, in terms of the ending, it's kind of like, yeah, it, 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 again, I don't know if... Maybe it was a little flat in some respects. I, mean, I did like the line it ended on, like you said. It might be hard to believe, but right now, I'm actually smiling. A, a sort of kind of nice note, considering how abstract the concept of this all is as well. I I think for that to pay off more, we should have seen him upset. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, that's where yeah. the, that, mm. that's the one thing this is lacking, is we him. To take actually. it to the extremes, yeah, especially we, when you only have a certain amount of time to play with, yeah. We need we needed like maybe a few like a few more seconds of him getting headbutted, and just or like a kind of like a three second shot of him like crying on the street, upset. Do you know what I mean? Like at his lowest ebb to then have that juxtaposition mm-hmm. to him. Do you know what I mean? Like because yeah, he get, he gets headbutted, and it's like it's 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 weird how it is almost like oh it didn't go crazy enough, and I think it does become a different type of film tonally in the last sort of third because it's like you say you can think about all the funny things that can happen to a, a guy of this affliction and it it doesn't quite pursue it as much as it maybe could like imagine if he was just going around having a full you know looney tunes escapade where he's like bonking his toe and then he turns around steps through a nail and like all this sort of stuff <laughs> and the whole time he's just smiling and he's just like sobbing out loud and it you know even get a moment where he is like full on tears down face and he still has this massive like rictus grin on would be really cool but i think it's interesting how it does kind of like the, the the actual plot that the the short is based around of him trying to essentially return this other character's bag is is kind of a little weak and it it almost feeds into like a rom-com kind of setup and it's it's it is interesting to see defoe essentially as like a romantic lead in this even though the relationship between him and the woman isn't quite of that ilk but i think it very much could be if they'd cast her maybe slightly differently um go down that route but yeah it just feels like i don't know like that there's something missing between the two of them especially to have that ending really land like she is just very much like you're just a stranger slash the guy fuck things up in this accident get away from me and it's I guess like any rom-com as well, it's one of those things that could just be resolved if they just talked to each other for more than five seconds at the start. If he had actually gotten <laughs> out, like, by the way, I can't stop smiling, she would have gone, oh yeah, I can't stop crying. We have, we were in the same accident after all, I have a thing, as opposed to just like running away. And they're artificially extending the length of a short to kind of keep that uh, revelation to the end, uh, obviously so. But it's like, yeah, that's something they could have just gotten around earlier and made it a different type of film or stuck with the entirely wacky uh cartoon element and, and lean more into that and kind of left off on the more sincere stuff um i think you definitely can shift tone throughout uh, across it but it's one where i don't know i don't think it quite knew which direction to go in yeah yeah i think i, I, I definitely agree with that as well i think it's uh if it's stuck to one path and maybe 
maybe even went more extreme with it because I think for, in, in many ways the selling point of this one is Defoe's face. Obviously, you get the idea of it after like a minute or two minutes and I don't think it necessarily outstayed its welcome. But at the same time, I think it is like, you know, uh, it's like seven, eight minutes, enough time to do with that kind of tonal shift if you've not really got enough in one way in the first place just, anyway. You know, seen more of the stuff that just gets mentioned as well. Like imagine if the first scene after the, the doctor's diagnosis where he goes great is him on the job delivering some bad news at a funeral, like with us now knowing <laughs> and just keeping yeah, his I uh, see that. Yeah. his shot you know, his front on shot like holding that back into the last possible minute and seeing how badly that would go or, you know, seeing I guess how much of this affliction would fuck up your real world life and i guess that's where it being obviously a short that's been done um under certain limitations kind of shows itself because if you had more time and planning you probably would try and get those those bits in like it does feel like a fairly empty world outside of like you know the one cab driver and the one sort of street thug and stuff when you know you could have had him walking straight through like busy street could have had him like imagine if he had a kid and he's having to pick his kid up from school and he's just like staring at all the kids in the playground with this like <laughs> creepy pervy grin on their light and he gets beaten up from that it's like he could have gone very 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 bad but obviously you know i'm i'm, I'm spitballing loads of ideas here but it's uh yeah it has to do what it has to do yeah yeah i think i definitely agree with that and i think certainly on that point as well it's uh about time to bring things to the final set of ratings for the final of our three of the uh, Jameson's shorts. So I have a feeling I know what the answer is going to be on this one. But <laughs> Matt, by any chance, was there a deface in, a, in this one? You know what? Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, this is deface the, the movie. Um, it really is. So there's not a second here where he's not defacing. Um, maximum deface. Very simple, <laughs> easy answer here. <laughs> yeah. Nice and simple, Petros. There has never been more deface than this. Like, this, is, this is the apex mountain of deface, baby. It's kind of that is, and I think it kind of it, it skirts on a lot of goodwill. Like the face is giving you goodwill for the, the the flaws in this, for sure. Yeah, hard agree on both points. I think you know we've still got a lot of the photo to cover, but. I have a feeling that no other... Pound for pound. <laughs> pound for pound. <laughs> no other video game, TV show, short, movie, documentary, whatever you want to call it, I don't think we're going to get as much debang for your debuck in terms of deface mm-hmm. as you're going to get in the smile, man. So this is... A ex- deface against no deface. Like, this is it. Unbeatable. <laughs> wall to wall deface. <laughs> I mean, like, kind of like... <laughs> this is the gold standard by which all of the Defoe films will be judged <laughs> from from this early, early stage in the podcast. Um, so, unsurprising, but three defaces there. So let us move on then to, uh, by no means least, our The Smile Man, De Friends or Defoe's and uh, Matt to kick this round off. The Smile Man, the friend or the foe? Yeah, it's been interesting watching these shorts again and actually finding some, for me, you know, some very straightforward, like critical 
points to raise against all three. And I think with watching the talking about the Smile Man back, that might actually be the one that has the most kind of against it narratively for me in terms of I think that the shots that it missed. I think the other two had one or two bits that maybe like was missing sticking the landing or something. Whereas I think this had enough potential in there that was kind of skirted over. But saying that, it's still a different. I think it probably is still my favorite of the three, just because it really does lean into that that you know almighty premise and it's the one that most showcases Defoe at his at his most playful at his most uh, knowing and this one more than the others is definitely his show and I'm glad out of the three you know we got to see different elements to him um, and playing off very different co-stars as well whereas this one is mostly a one-man show so uh, still a different yeah still a different amazing stuff so that's the first rating in we have one different Petros, same question: the friend or the foe on the Smile Man for yourself? Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely the friend. Like, I can see this the one being like the one I watched the most. Just kind of like a little. We ain't got ten minutes to spare. Like, let's have a little laugh with Defoe and that that silly deface he's pulling. Like, yeah, it's as I said. Like, the premise is kind of doing a lot of the heavy lifting and kind of gives you a lot of goodwill to kind of stay with the moments that maybe don't work as well he's hit the brief the director and writer right he's kind of he ha- he's kind of he's been given Defoe and he's gone oh, let's make the most Defoe thing possible and use his kind of vital asset which is that kind of elastic like face and it's kind of makes it makes it fun and i think it's got great little punchlines throughout it and it's like you said daryl this could like this works at the length it works at this is the most short of the shorts in this kind of trifecta like this is the one where it's like all right yep i've had enough like that that'll do that'll do pig that'll do <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, lovely points on both counts and yeah i think no surprises it's a friend from me as well i think of all the three Again, we you know we've talked about um, the foe having an input into the scripts as well. This one was probably the most to coin you know to uh, put an image in your minds. The most cheese on the mouse trap for um, <laughs> mouse to foe, which is a uh, you know almost Godfather ass making an offer couldn't refuse. Yeah, it hits the brief. This is you know you've got the foe. How do you use the foe? This is how you use the foe. I see talking about it. Um, you know, are there some definitely some points you can sort of critique? Absolutely. Same for all three. But given the context of this competition, the length of time, I think it's perfect for the length of time that we have with it. Are there some things we'd like to see more of or change? Sure, probably. But I think what we get um, is, uh, is certainly more than enough there. And obviously that sort of brings us to uh, towards the end of our special little jaunt outs for our three uh, Jamesons. And I think... I think as we sort of touched on earlier, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm not saying that um, other short film competitions don't exist and they are absolutely out there, but it would be great for something like this, you know, with that kind of prize being the, the an actor of that A-list caliber to sort of come back. And it's, and as we've said, it's understandable why it went away, but if it were to return with, shall we say, the spacey factor removed, um, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite nice as well. Um, it's funny, like, I'd, I'd love to know if on the set of the Grand Budapest Hotel, Willem Dafoe talked to Adrian Brody, like, I've just done these shorts, and Brody was like, oh, cool, I'll do that, because 
Brody's year is 2015. So it's right, Budapest Hotel is like right in between their years. So I do wonder if they had a chat and Brody was like, yeah, cool, I'll do that. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) All over a cool ice-filled glass of Jameson's hashtag (laughs) not a nerd. But yeah, um, like I said, I don't don't know if I could maybe pick a favourite. I mean, maybe, I think it's between Saving Norman and The Smile Man for me. I think it'd probably be on a coin flip. Which one I'd which one I'd probably pick as the favourite, but I would stress as well not that there was any that I didn't enjoy. I I enjoyed them all for different reasons, and I think most importantly, it made me want to see more of the works of the respective directors that mm-hmm. won their um international categories as well. So for all intents and purposes, I think mission accomplished yeah. in terms of the first shots as well. I mean, short filmmaking is, is just so hard anyway. It's a miracle anything ever gets done or, or comes out the way you want it. So, you know, to have this extra helping hand of uh, production budget and a crew and an A-lister is uh, such a gift for anybody. And so I'm, I'm glad all these films did get made over, over that time. And so, you know, as much as we can sort of, you know, recognize the things some of us might have done differently, it's, uh, you know, none of these are bad in any way whatsoever. And it's, easier than you think to make a very bad short that just doesn't work on any level at all so <laughs> that's for another podcast time, Matt. <laughs> uh, but uh with that all said and done i think it is time to wrap things up here for our uh special in betwixt seasons episode here so we say Thank you uh, ever so much to Matt Brothers for taking the time to watch these shorts, come chat about them with us. It's been an absolute joy. But uh, for the listeners, for the friends, uh, where can we find you on uh, the interwebs, the socials, and all that good business as well? Oh, thank you guys so much. This has been great. Um, Yeah, you can find me over on Twitter, X, etc. at Matt Brothers 2, and then across uh, two pods now. So Spotlight, which is the Star Trek podcast from three non-Trekkies that I do with my friends Liam and Paul. That's the OG. We've been doing that for about seven years now, and it's, uh, yeah, exactly what it what it sounds like. A bunch of people who love film, but weren't necessarily, but Trek wasn't necessarily our franchise, and we kind of dove into it in a sort of book club mindset, and we've covered all the films, many, many aspects of all the different shows, plus other tangential film connections and interviews and all sorts so that's over at spotlight pod and my co-host of my other show is previous guest of defoe you daryl bear so we do together uh, is paul dano okay which is again another filmography show we are seven seasons in we have currently done all that dear paul has done as his filmography is nowhere near uh the the, the sturdy heights <laughs> of defoe so while we wait for him to get his ass in gear and make more stuff we're doing different character actor mini seasons uh, of hand-picked films for that person so we've done judy greer and clancy brown so far just recently wrapped up on the clancy brown season with yeah we're currently betwixt seasons as well so we'll be gearing up for season eight for an as yet revealed another character actor focus before we hopefully circle back to paul himself for season nine um by which point a few more of his uh, upcoming projects should be out. Strike willing. <laughs> <laughs> Strike willing, of course. Now, wonderful stuff. So uh, it's time for us to wrap up the way we always wrap up here on Getting to Fur You. So I've been Daryl. I've been Petros. And I've been Matt. And we've been Getting to Fur You. 
And there you go. The odds and the ends number one in the bag. And, oh. uh, what, what a... It's good to learn where gifts come from. That's yeah. <laughs> especially one as memorable as the Smile Man one. It is kind of like it lives. It lives rent free in my mind. Like, like <laughs> kind of like <laughs> the inside of my eyelids are painted with that gif. I can tell you that for sure. It's a you know I know we said about it in the episode, but it's a gift that I've seen for years. Never knew where it came from. Now I know. Every day is a school day at the here at Defoe Hugh Pod. Yeah, a lot of fun. Enjoyed the shorts. Would love to see more from all the directors, as we said here as well. You know, hopefully we're going to keep this kind of the odds and the ends running. And we've got some ideas of things for, you know, we're not trying to get ahead of ourselves, but we've got some ideas for some post-season content as well. So... Well, yeah, I guess there's elements of his IMDb we haven't even kind of delved into because we've been such in the kind of quagmire of his actual filmography that there's not the kind of uh, self-section on there. So the the documentaries Mm -hmm. he's popped up in and stuff like that. So I imagine there's some fascinating areas that he's covered and just uh, potentially something we'll cover in the future just by stumbling upon it on uh, YouTube. Uh, I found a a yoga documentary which Willem Dafoe stars in so you know that's you know that's coming down the pike at some point if Dafoe is in it we're obligated to cover it that's our guarantee to you for however many seasons this show goes on for so lots in the bag uh, lots in the tank still to come and we're very excited to share it in all it's Dafoe glory in the coming weeks months years we'll be here doing the Lord's work god damn it so um, as we as we sort of wrap things up here, we will say, of course, we would be absolute charlatans. We'd be un- we'd be unsmiling then if we didn't. We thank you to our delightful editor Matt, as ever, for putting together three shorts, making them a whole, and making this episode again oh. listenable. Without Matt, we are hypochondriacs stuck in our apartments, <laughs> never knowing the delights of the outside, never playing ping pong ever again. So we thank you, Matt. You are our 1989 cardboard cutout champion that we bat our silly ideas against and you bat them right back in a lovely polished form for the listeners to enjoy. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, we touched it at the top of the episode, but we'll let you know again as we help you on your way out of the episode as well. Uh, Petros, if the listeners want to find us on the socials, where can they do this? So Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all at DefoeUPod. That is where you can find us. You can drop us an email at DefoeUPod at gmail.com. And remember to always be a DeFriend, never be a Defoe, and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this right now. In this kind of in-between portion of the podcast we're in, and kind of between these seasons, it would be great to kind of burst into season two with a kind of... Oh, yes. Do you know what I mean? Uh, 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 more people on the Defoe Commotion train joining us as we kind of steamroll ahead onto Horizons Anew. <laughs> To join us on the Defoe Commotion train, there's plenty of room. And uh, we think we've got, you know, one one final portion of business as far as season one is concerned. The wrap-up's coming up where we're going to cover what we enjoyed in the films this season, what we didn't enjoy, what we've learned. And 
we've got the listener mailbag as well so we've got a little bit more to come and then it's season two ahoy baby so it's all to come to mm-hmm. <laughs> fuck it away baby but with that said we thank you for listening we will see you in the wrap-up as we give you all of our de highs all of our de lows all the things of season one Willem Dafoe right here on getting Dafoe you so until then until then bye 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 getting Dafoe you getting to know all about Willem getting to like you by watching all your films getting Dafoe you We'll start with Heaven's Gate And we'll watch them all Till the present day